Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey, hi, how are we? Here's the deal. Here's the format of this episode. I woke up this morning and I thought there is nothing I would rather do less than watch the new Teen Mom and talk about it. But I knew that if I did not watch this week, I would not want to watch two episodes in a row next week. So this is what I did. And I think I might try this going forward. We'll see. No promises. But I watched the new episode of Teen Mom so that we could lightly talk about it because there's only lightness to talk about. And then I also went back to season four because we still have two season four episodes, episodes And so I went back and I watched and took notes on season four, episode 11. So instead of doing two throwback episodes or two new episodes, I think I might try and do this split uh, because like I said, I'm just very nervous that if I take two weeks off Teen Mom, I'm never fucking watching it again. Like, (laughs) that's what happened with Young and Pregnant. It's like, I don't want to like, I like Young and Pregnant, but I didn't want to watch it after I watched like these fucking amazing episodes in season four, which by the way, this episode 11 is when Janelle starts doing heroin openly. Like, how can how can anything compete with that? Nothing can compete with that. Janelle's doing heroin on TV. I can't I can't talk about anything else. So we're going to go over this week's episode because I do think um, it's important. (laughs) Nothing important has ever been said on this podcast, but it's important that I cover the new episodes because I know many people rely on me for updates on what's going on because they don't want to watch the show. So I do respect and appreciate that. And then we're going to do throwback talk. Uh, before that, I want to mention my Patreon, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. This week, I actually put out two episodes. I did another Sister Wise recap, and then I also did an episode on Amanda Knox, who Unfortunately, is someone that like I have to defend my death. I don't know why you guys know that I just like become obsessed with things. And one of those things is that Amanda Knox is absolutely innocent. All of the evidence shows that she is innocent. She got completely railroaded by the system in actually a completely terrifying way. And so I did an episode with my friend Fiona, and we talked about the documentary. And also, I read most of her book. Most. (laughs) I didn't finish it in time, but I read most of her book. So I talked about that, too. And I think it's a really good episode. Um, Amanda Knox is just weird, you know, but like being weird doesn't make someone a murderer. And that's like my thesis of Amanda Knox. And Sister Rives is wild this season. If you ever watched Sister Wives and then fell off because there have been 17 seasons and only two of them have been mildly interesting, I definitely suggest checking back in. Even if like you don't necessarily want to watch all of the episodes, watch the first episode of season 17 and then, you know, jump around because watching this family fall apart on television is fucking riveting. (laughs) Also, it's in a way quite uh, uplifting because Christine has really found like a joy in herself and real strength that she used to not have by deciding she was going to leave Cody. And I find watching like the way that she's handling this to really bring me a lot of joy and satisfaction that I don't always find in reality TV. 
So patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Here we talk about Sister Wives and random things. This coming week, I'm pretty sure my episode is going to be on VH1's Family Therapy, which is Teen Mom related because that is when Brie, Rox, and Brittany went on and Roxanne told them on national television that Brittany had a different father. The cast is like fucking stacked. It's also Michael Loham, uh, Michael and Dina Lohan, Bam Margera, and his family. So, yeah. Oh, and Princess is going to do it with me. <laughs> so, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Okay. That said, hi. Let's get into the new episode of Teen Mom. Not any, nothing really happened in the news. Um, Kale posted a picture of herself in which... I don't know. She's hiding her stomach. I am definitely leaning more towards like Kale's pregnant. But like I said, I until we see that baby, I'm just not sure. I'm just really not sure. Um, I also kind of think if she is, it's a girl. And that's why she's not telling anybody. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Do we miss Kale on the show? I mean, I don't like just because I don't feel like I've missed anybody on this show. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, (laughs) the people not on the show are the people that the Team Mom fandom deeply cares about the most, which is Janelle, Kaylin, and Chelsea. And I know everyone's going to be like, um, I don't care about Janelle or Kale, but you, you do. Not you. Collect the universal you, um, does care about Janelle. You can go to any Teen Mom discussion place and 90% of the posts are about Kale and Janelle. <laughs> like almost every single post on the Instagrams and I would guess the Facebook pages, but I'm not on them, on Twitter, on Reddit, are about Kaylin and Janelle. Like they are by far the biggest um I don't think stars is the right word, but biggest source of attention in the teen mom universe. So that's interesting, I guess. Um yeah, the new episode was really bad. <laughs> Not much happened. I'm just going to like kind of quickly run through it. Um, oh, Kate actually did have some interesting stuff. So we did see Kate microblading again. This is relevant to my life because this week I got my brows laminated and I'm fucking obsessed with them. It's if you don't know, I didn't know until my friend Christine did it. And then I was like, tell me where you went and I'm going to go there and do the exact same thing. Um, but they basically like perm your brows. And you know how those brows that are like really fluffy and like with the long brushed up hair is in right now? The only way that most people can get that I'm pretty sure is through like laminating and it basically perms your brows so that your hair is malleable. And I'm really obsessed with it. I've always had pretty thick eyebrows, but my hair is like very dense. So they don't like move around a lot. And so watching Kate microblade it, I was like, great, because the only thing in my life that I care about right now is my eyebrows. So I'm glad to see some eyebrows on television. (laughs) I'm glad to see Kate working. Um, I think even if she does it once or twice a week, it's good that she has something that she likes to do. I was curious if she went back to it. So I was glad to see that she did. Tyler has rescheduled his vasectomy and he's going to go through with it. Tyler, Kate, and her friend are sitting in their kitchen and they're talking about April. And they're like, oh, yeah, April's going to come over and watch the kids while I take Tyler to get the vasectomy. And Caitlin really offhandedly, (laughs) I was like, huh? Come, huh? What did she just say? Caitlin goes, well, you know, because if she drives over here, I know she's not going to drive drunk. 
Um, excuse me? Uh, my mouth dropped open when she said that, which could because one, first of all, how do you know that? <laughs> Why do you know that April will not drive drunk? <laughs> Why are you confident in that? But I didn't know that April's drinking was enough of an issue that Kate would be bringing up on camera again, because they really have not talked about April and her substance abuse for quite a long time. We know that April drinks, but she's with those kids alone a lot. And so I I don't know what I thought. I really don't know what I thought. But when Kate said that, I was like, um, how, how long has this been going on that you are like, Kate drops those kids off with April a lot. Is the I'm like, so is she just allowed to come over here now? And you're not going like, I don't know. I was really shocked by this. I though was really pretty proud of how Kate handled. I don't know. Okay, here's the thing. (laughs) If April is drinking, she should not be watching Kate's children. Full stop. Of course, we agree with that. But at the same time, I can understand that for Caitlin, it's very hard to cut off her mother and that the mother that she has now is so incredibly different to the mother that she had as a child that I do think Kate's um, perception of the situation is a little warped, right? Like, I think Kate is kind of living in like a harm reduction space, which is great as far as like her relationship with April. And by that, I mean, like, she's accepting that April's not going to be totally sober. She's probably never going to be totally sober. And her drinking a couple beers a night is significantly better than her smoking crack. Right? Like, <laughs> that this works a lot better for her. Um, And this is really like the new attitude in the substance use disorder field. Like, this is where we are going. This is what the research shows that for many people, abstinence is just not working. And many people are able to significantly increase their quality of life and still like moderate some substance use. Um, And for those people, that's really good. And I think for April, she may be drinking, but like she's not getting arrested. She seems to have like really stable housing. She has a relationship with her kids and her grandkids. So she seems to be in like a decent place. So I I understand and I'm I'm proud of Kate for like addressing this pretty head on because she does have a talk with April. But on the other hand, I am worried that her skewed version of April is going to put her kids in harm's way. She says, like, I know my mom's not, like, fall down drunk around the kids. She's not going to abuse the kids. And I'm like, do you know that, though? Like, can can you guarantee that? Because I, I don't know if you can. Because if she is drinking more than she has been, I don't see how you can guarantee that she's not going to drive drunk. I don't see how you can guarantee that she's not going to snap at one of the kids. Apparently, Kate's sister called her and told her that April was giving Veda a bath drunk. And I think this is what set everything off. But like, she's still having April come over and watch the kids. I don't know. I think (laughs) I think Kate and Tyler have done a a pretty tremendous job with their lives, all things considered. When you look at who their parents are and how their lives were, 
their kids' lives are so fucking different than their childhoods, right? Like, I think that they have done a very good job at changing the cycle for their children. However, nobody is perfect. And I also think that, like, we have this idea of people that were abused will grow up and break the cycle. And some people are able to do that. But I also don't think that's necessarily a realistic goal for many, many people. And for many people that grew up in such an unstable and abusive environment, what they need to be doing is like doing everything they can to change things so that their kids are like really able to break the cycle so that when their kids grow up, yeah, there were some issues, but they don't have this like mountains of trauma to come to overcome like their parents. And I think that's more like where Tyler and Caitlin are. And I think that's okay. I would, you know, like I, I think that's okay. I think that all things considered, they're doing a good job. But I am confused about the April of it all and watching the kids drunk. Um, Tyler does get the vasectomy. So Mazel Tov to Tyler. And afterwards, um, oh, by the way, when they were having this conversation, her friend was like, you so let her babysit the kids? <laughs> like her friend was like, huh? <laughs> it was really, I actually <laughs> was really laughing because her friend was definitely an audience insert there because she was like, have you talked, you haven't talked to her about this? Like, <laughs> But Kate does directly talk to April. April requests that it's not on camera, which I think is fine. April has that right. And they talk for a while. And then Kate and Tyler talk about it after the fact. And Kate says, you know, I'm really proud of her. She wasn't defensive. She was honest. She understood. Uh, I guess Caitlin asked her point blank, like, what's going on with the drinking? And April said, you know, I was going through a period where I was drinking a lot more and that was bad and I'm not doing that anymore. And Kate let her know, like, you can't be around the kids drunk. This is my boundary. And then Kate and Tyler had a good discussion after the fact about how they can't control anything that April does, but they can control what they do and what their reaction to April drinking is. And I just hope that they, like, make a stance like you cannot be around the kids drunk. Honestly, April probably shouldn't be around the kids if she's drinking at all. You know, like it it should be a non-drinking day for April if she's going to see the kids. I'm not sure if April can have non-drinking days is probably the issue. And I know a lot of people would say like, then she should never see the kids. And I don't I don't think that's wrong if somebody feels that way. But I, I, I guess I'm just like trying to extend some grace to Caitlin and Tyler because they have come such a long way and it is really hard to cut off family members, right? Especially when that family member has made really significant changes to their life. And I can understand from Kate's view where she's like, I want my mom in my life. I want my mom in my kid's life. She's so much better. I don't want to have to cut her off because she's having a couple drinks. And like, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I I do think Kate's playing with fire is basically what I'll say. Like, I think that they are one bad night from April hurting one of the kids by accident, maybe yelling at one of the kids, not by accident, uh, having a real damaging moment. And it's it's just it's always been surprising to me how much Kate lets April babysit those kids. Um, I'm like, you guys have money. Just like maybe hire a nanny. <laughs> like, 
Maybe you need to like find a regular babysitter and pay her instead of having April do this. Like, I think there are solutions to this. And I think some people like truly don't have options because they need the childcare from their parent. But Kate and Tyler do have options. And I just hope that they make some choices. I'm curious what Dr. Drew <laughs> is going to say about this at the reunion. I'm definitely curious. You guys, I, you know, I fucking hate Dr. Drew, but I, I know he'll ask about this. There's no way he won't ask about this. And I'm curious to hear like what Kate will say about it. And I think he will say point blank, like the kids shouldn't be around your mom if she's drinking. And I hope, I hope Kate takes that to heart because her and Tyler really respect Dr. Drew for reasons I'll never understand. So that actually, Kate and Tyler did have, actually have an interesting segment. Proud of them for that. <laughs> Macy, um, get Macy off this fucking show. If I have to watch one more goddamn minute of Macy, I'm blowing up this podcast. We will not have this podcast anymore. I can't, I cannot do it. I don't know why. It's not that I'm bored during her segments. I'm now feeling a rage during her segments. This whole thing is about Bentley wanting social media and they talk about like how he's, famous and they have people come to their house, which like, don't go to Teen Mom. Don't go to famous people's houses, you fucking creep. Can you do a little drive by and look at it if you're in the neighborhood? Sure, I guess. Don't go to famous people's houses. Just don't do it. It's really easy not to do it. You know, it's really, really easy. Um, Don't do that. Just don't do that. But they decide that they're going to let Bentley have social media I'm fine with that, honestly. Like, I, he's 13. He said he made the high school golf team, which is really cute. Um, He's going to be, I think he's in eighth grade this year, right? Like, I, I, most of his classmates probably have social media. I think that I'm a person that thinks that we need to adapt. We need to adapt to the world that kids are living in, not make kids adapt to the world that we lived in, right? And like the reality is, is that kids have cell phones, kids have social media. And how do you do that safely? Like I know my best friend like is very, very anti. I mean, her kids are still younger. The oldest is only nine. And she like does not want these kids to have phones, of course. And she's like, but like, I I don't, she's like, the oldest is going to have to get a phone in not that long because, like, I need to get in touch with her. She's going to people's houses now. Um, after school, activities are changing, and there's just no way to get in touch with her. So she's going to look for, like, a non-smartphone option eventually. But I was even, I was talking to one of my cousins when we had our little family reunion. She's like, you know, my oldest, her oldest and her youngest are, I think, six years apart. And she's like, my oldest didn't get a cell phone until he was like 16. And by the time my youngest got a cell phone, he was like 11, just because that's like when kids were getting cell phones. And I was like, yeah, I think that makes sense. That's the world that we live in. Um, I do think Bentley should only have private social media. I think his parents should be completely monitoring it. I think they should have access to all of his accounts. Um, I think that he, you know, they should be going through his followers list and his following list and his DMs. Mm, to a certain extent, I do also think that kids should have privacy. But I think if necessary, they should be going through the DMs. I think that they should, like, it should be, they should be able to toggle into his account on their Instagram, right? Um, But I, I also think it's, like, to be, like, they absolutely can never have social media until they're 18 doesn't make sense either. And these kids are about to be in high school, right? Like, high schoolers have social media And I think it's way safer to, like, let your kids have it in a very monitored way than to try and restrict all access and they're, like, sneaking around you. 
That said, Macy is one of the worst offenders when it comes to the teen mom kids and social media in that she's had like a public account under Bentley's name for many years posting those clickbait articles that I'm assuming she and Taylor are pocketing the money for. I don't think it's going into the Bentley Edwards Trust Fund would be my guess. And like that account will post like, Ryan Edwards dead from overdose? Question mark? Like... It's really bad. It's really, really, really bad the way that they use that account. Um, so, but at the same time, I also think Macy and Taylor have private social medias and have like an awareness of what to post on social media and whatnot because they're both pretty inactive on social media, which makes me think they have probably private accounts for their friends and family. So maybe they can off camera do a good job of explaining to Bentley, like, this is what our public account does. This is the public account. And then here's how we live on our private account. And here's why. And I mean, he's he's 13. He's old enough to have these conversations. I definitely understand people are like, Bentley shouldn't have social media. Of course. Of course, I understand that. I don't think that's a a logical argument. I don't think it's like a bad argument. I just don't think it's a very realistic argument for the world that we live in in 2022. Um. I like if you don't want your kids to have social media until they're 16 or 18 or whatever, like truly, that's great. Like, I don't have any criticism of that. Like that, that is your choice as a family. And I think that that there are a million reasons to support that option. Right. But I also don't think it's wrong when people want to give their kids a safe way to access the things that they want to access. So hopefully Bentley will be okay and safe. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break and then we will do the rest of the episode. Uh, in Amber's segment, she gets off probation. That's really all that happens. I will say, Amber is talking a lot about just wanting to be able to drink. And I don't think that's good. I don't, I know I just said harm reduction. Nobody should be abstinent. Amber just went two years off of alcohol, off of hard substances as far as her drug tests show, right? Like, I mean, who knows? Who really knows? But if we take this at face value that she passed all of her drug tests and we believe her that she's not abusing meds, um, her life over the last two years has gotten significantly better than it was, right? Drinking has never made her life better. Drinking has only had negative consequences in her life, only ever. We've seen really negative consequences as a result of her drinking on television. I mean, go watch her marriage boot camp family edition season. She is drunk as fuck that whole season, screaming on the top of her lungs, getting violent. Like, Amber's not a good drinker. (laughs) She's really not a good drinker. And I don't think that she should be going back to drinking. I just, I really don't. I don't think it's a good idea. I honestly don't think she should be doing any substances. I was going to say maybe she could just smoke pot, but like, I don't, I think Amber is a drug addict. Like, I'm a drug addict and that like, it doesn't really matter the substance so much. Like, anything that makes me like leave my mind, like go into an altered state is going to become like very addictive for me. Because I've like fantasized in my head. I'm like, maybe I could smoke weed. And then I think back to the way that I smoked weed. And it's like, I smoked weed like an alcoholic drink. Like, truly from the moment I woke up, I would roll over in my bed and I would hit my bowl. And I would smoke all day long. And it would only be worse now because I would have access to edibles and vapes and unlimited weed from the dispensary. Like, 
it would be a fucking mess if I started smoking weed again. And I think that's the case for Amber. I think that people like me and Amber, if we are able to get off substances completely for a significant period of time in which Amber supposedly has, I don't think it is in their best interest to go back to using. Is that in contradiction to what I was saying earlier about harm reduction? Kind of. Kind of. I I am not sure Amber is ever going to be able to have a life that involves substances that's like manageable whatsoever. You know, like I just I don't I don't think that will be the case. And I really worry for Amber starting drinking. She calls Kate and she's like, well, my rule is like, I'm not going to get twisted and I'm not going to do shots. And I'm like, you're already making rules. You know, she's already making rules. She goes out to get a drink with her friend and she gets a fucking vodka Red Bull. I'm like, we're starting with a vodka Red Bull? Girly, you're going to be angry. (laughs) This is not for you. It's just really not for you. I just, I think that Amber has made progress. I mean, how much progress? I don't know because we don't really see that much of her life. But she hasn't gotten arrested, right? Like she has, even though James was able to move to California, she was granted unsupervised visits with him. Like things aren't perfect in her life, but they are getting better. And I just don't see how drinking adds any value whatsoever to her life. I really don't. And I think that this is a bad choice. And I think it's going to have eventually a bad result. Like, I also, like, if you are on probation for a pretty serious offense the way that Amber was, and you're on it for two full years, and then you're like, great, I'm off, I can start drinking again. It's like, there are problems here, you know? And she's talking about it in a way that's like, no, no, I don't, I don't have problems with alcohol. I really don't have problems with alcohol. And it's like, I think you did have problems with alcohol. Because I always say, like, I didn't have problems with alcohol. And, like, I'm not an alcoholic, right? Like, I mean, I call myself an alcoholic in context of AA. But, like, I'm not an alcoholic. I did not drink alcoholically. But I am a binge drinker. And I abuse alcohol. Like, I am somebody that once I was done drinking, I could leave. You always hear people in AA say, like, I can never leave a drink on the table. Once I start drinking, I cannot stop. Like, that's never been the case for me. I could never drink two days in a row. I, at least after the age of, like, 21, I I was, like, never, drinking was never, like, my biggest vice. But I was a binge drinker. And I did a lot of really bad things when I drank. And I blacked out. I was a blackout drinker. It just wasn't that often, right? Like, I only went out let's say once a month, but that once a month I would black out. And just because like I didn't necessarily feel addicted to alcohol and I I very ever rarely was like, I need to drink, I need to drink, I need to drink. Like it was more that I was like, I'm in a situation in which I feel like I should need to drink. So I'm going to say I need to drink. It's kind of hard to explain. But I think that Amber and I are probably pretty similar in that way. And so are a lot of people who are drug addicts. They don't necessarily have problems with alcohol. And some of them truly have no problem with alcohol and are able to like moderately drink. Um, I think that Amber is more like me in that like, yeah, I moderately drank often. I would have one glass of wine. Like that happened. But like when I went out, like I blacked out and that's, that's not good, right? Like just because I wasn't an alcoholic and I wasn't addicted to alcohol and I didn't really crave alcohol doesn't mean that I was using alcohol responsibly. And I just don't think it's worth testing. Also, like, 
the idea of um, lowering my inhibitions like that is truly a no-go for me. Like, truly a no-go. I just, I don't, I don't see a world in which it's, like, good for me to lower my inhibitions in this, in this part of my life. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I see myself lowering my inhibitions and being like, all right, who's got the Xanax? <laughs> Maybe not heroin, but I'd be like, okay, can I get some Adderall? Like, I, I really think that once that barrier is down, I would be a lot more willing to do other things. And I think Amber is the same way. And look, Amber can make her own mistakes. I just worry for her. Okay. Cheyenne segment, uh, Baby Maya, I think is her name, was born. Mila. Is Mila the older one? I really don't remember. Corey had another baby who has some pretty serious heart problems. She had to get multiple surgeries. Um, This episode was basically about, like, the families coming together to support one another. Ryder graduated from preschool. The baby is okay, thank God. Um, But it's really... It's like, it's honestly, it's kind of a nice segment for them. There's at one point Cheyenne's crying and she, it made me tear up a little bit. But she's like, when I was pregnant, I was like, I had set my mind like I am a single mom. And like to look around and see that Ryder has Corey, she has Taylor, she has Zach, she has my family. Like to know, like that makes me feel really good. And I was like, that's really sweet because yeah, she thought she'd be a single mom. And now her kid has four parents, not just one. And that's really lovely. It's also weird that like, look, I have said many times, like, I don't give a fuck that Taylor was fired from the show for those tweets. Like, bye. I don't care to ever see Taylor again. Like, it's not that. I'm not like, this is not me being like, this is the injustice. I think I said this last season or earlier in this season. But like, if Taylor is going to be a major plot point, like, just put her on the fucking show. You know, (laughs) like, If we're talking about her like this, put her on the show. Either don't talk about her and don't have her involved or put her on the show. This like weird thing where we're like talking about her but not showing her just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay, the final person is Brie who gets diagnosed. I I was a little unclear if she actually got diagnosed or if she was just going to get diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She's been really depressed. She started seeing a therapist and she has realized that she needs medicine too. She calls Kate to talk about it, of course, because if anybody in the MTV world has a mental health issue, they're like, you got to call Caitlin. So she calls Kate to talk about it and Kate really encourages her to go see the doctor. Brie is in that point where she's, like, really scared to actually get a diagnosis, which I completely understand. And she reveals that both Brittany and Roxanne are bipolar. Did we know that? When she said that, I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) That explains a lot about this family, that all three of you have bipolar disorder. That explains, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, once I found that out, I was like, Wow, this family is a lot more functional than I thought. Like they all things considered, if the three adults in your family all have bipolar disorder and you're all managing pretty well, like good for you guys. That explains a lot. I don't know. That that made a lot of sense to me. I just don't know if we knew that. Um, I'm proud of Brie for taking care of it. I think that she does display a lot of signs of bipolar disorder. She seems to get really depressed. She has the um, impulsivity. Oh, by the way, remember last week and I was like, is there something on Bree's face? Uh, a bunch of people were like, yeah, Liz, she has a birthmark or 
like some sort of discoloration and she's had it since 16 pregnant, but she just usually covers it up. And I was like, huh. I mean, if anything proves that I absolutely watch this TV show on my fucking cell phone, (laughs) it's that because I have never, ever noticed that before. Um, But thank you for letting me know. I'm glad to know that. All right, let's let's wrap this up. That's really all that happened on Teen Mom. The next chapter, it was fine, right? Like, I didn't mind, actually. I wasn't, like, watching the episode. I wasn't angry. And because I wasn't taking detailed notes, I could, like, look on my phone. And that's how I want to watch the show, on my phone or playing Animal Crossing because I've gotten back into Animal Crossing. Some of my friends, like, put on their Be Real that they were playing Animal Crossing. I was like, I should play that. Um, I have not played in quite a while. Right before the update, like, a year ago, I had restarted my island and then, like, because I was like, I really want to play Animal Crossing again. I'm so bored. I haven't played in, like, six months. I'm going to restart my island. And then I was like, maybe that will make me want to play. And then truly a week later, they announced, like, all of those updates that I would not have access to because I fucking restarted my island. I was so mad that I, like, didn't play. But I recently picked it up and I've been playing again. And it's really easy to play that game for five straight hours. (laughs) I'm having fun. Um, Yeah. So I want to be able to, like, play Animal Crossing and watch Teen Mom at the same time. You know, and that's the way to watch this show. When you watch it that way, it's fine. It's not bad. It's not bad. This episode wasn't bad. There's just a difference between like a show that I watch and a show that I talk about on a podcast. There are many shows that I watch that I would like never get up on a podcast to talk about, you know, because it's like, what's there to say? And that's kind of how I feel about Teen Mom. Smash cut to me 35 minutes later, still talking. (laughs) Okay. So we are at season four, episode 11. There are 12 episodes in the season. So this is the penultimate episode. Uh, Let's start with Chelsea. So Chelsea is planning for Aubrey's third birthday party. You know, the biggest event of the season. (laughs) How many fucking times do you have to hear about this third birthday party? The whole season. It's her third birthday party. It's her third birthday party. It controls everything in Chelsea's life. Chelsea is full-blown modern-day Chelsea. There's... Um, early Chelsea and modern Chelsea, and she's definitely modern Chelsea in this episode. Her hair is red. She is wearing cuter clothes. She she looks good. Um, she says she's going to go back to school after the party, but she's not quite ready to do it. She's like nervous about waking up for it. <sighs> I think Aubrey, I was going to say, doesn't she wake up with Aubrey? But then I remembered like Aubrey, she's always like struggling to wake Aubrey up for school. So I guess they both just slept in. <laughs> That's a nice life if your kid sleeps in and you stay home with them and you get to sleep in too. They have the birthday party. It's nice. After the party, her friends are there and they're like, we think that this was a much better party than last year because last year she had invited Adam and he showed up two two hours late and she was like so upset the whole day. It was all of this drama. And I also think that this is like some real growth in Chelsea. You know, like she's not sitting around waiting for Adam. She still sleeps with Adam a couple times, like, post this time because Taylor isn't even pregnant yet in this episode. But it's obvious that this is the season in which Chelsea is, like, truly moving away from Adam emotionally. She said, yeah, I'm glad that he wasn't there because she's realizing her life is a lot better if she's not, like, sitting around waiting for Adam to give her attention. 
Um, Adam also has a birthday party for Aubrey. It's in a Ramada Inn at the pool. It actually, it looked fun. Although when Chelsea's getting her ready, she's like, I don't want you to go. And Aubrey's like, I have to go with my daddy. And Chelsea goes, but I want you to stay. And Aubrey's like, I want to go with my dad. And I'm like, Chelsea, shut the fuck up. Why are you saying that to your three-year-old? Why? Why are you saying that? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Don't tell your kid that you don't want her to leave. That's not like, just don't do that. Don't do that. It's not healthy. <laughs> it, she seemed to have a lot of fun at the party. Adam got her totally inappropriate gift, which was like a mini dirt bike that, you know, was like electric. But here's the thing. Like, Aubrey is three. She can't even ride a bike yet. His friend goes, she's not going to be able to ride that. And Adam goes, we'll have to get her training wheels. Like, I don't think they make training wheels for that. Like, Aubrey's at the age of a Barbie car, you know, like a Barbie Jeep. Get her if you want to get her like an electric toy, which remember last year they also got her totally age inappropriate toy. But if you want to get her something that moves, get her a Barbie Jeep that she can sit in and drive around like you have to have balance to be able to work this thing. Aubrey was like, I don't want to get on that. Finally, she let Adam's dad put her on the bike and she was like smiling as he held her stood behind her and pushed the bike because you need to have full balance to be able to ride this bike. <laughs> it's a bike. It's actually probably harder to ride than a bike because it's like heavy and you're not used to it. It was just, it's just typical Adam. Just no idea of what Aubrey likes, what she's age appropriate for. I don't know why no one steps in in his life, like Taylor or his parents and is like, don't buy that. Wait another year or even two years to when she can ride a bike because she needs to be able to ride a bike to ride this motorcycle. It's so nuts. Um, when Adam drops Aubrey off, <laughs> he like comes into the house and he's like, so like standing there and Chelsea's like, OK, bye. See you later. It's good. It's good for Chelsea. She's clearly has made progress. Okay, that's it for Chelsea. Let's go to Leah, who has some good progress with Allie. This is the episode in which they first see Dr. Tao for the first time. Uh, we They're trying to get Allie to walk. One of the first scenes is trying to get Allie to walk. She's at her parents' house, and they have her up. First of all, it's like so I'm obviously in retrospect, but like poor little Allie, they like sand her up and her legs just buckle underneath her. And Leah's like, I think she's just getting tired. And then Dawn says, sometimes she's just being lazy. I know that they didn't know at this point that Allie had muscular dystrophy, but they knew something was off. They knew. And like when you watch it, her legs buckle. She's not like giving up. It's not like she's just sitting down. Her legs cannot support her body. I when Don I'm like first of all, can 2-year-olds be lazy? Is that a thing that we like is that a word that we ascribe to babies? Uh when Don said that I I really cringe, but Allie did take a couple steps and there's a really cute moment where <laughs> Leah's like we have to call Jeremy and Daddy. She goes, who should we call first? And of course, Allie's like, Daddy. And Leah's like, oh, okay. Leah. <laughs> it's okay that your daughter wants to call her father 
and not your husband that she's known for about 11 minutes. That's truly okay. But Allie's on the phone. She's like, I walked. And Corey's like, so good. And she goes, I did good. (laughs) So cute. So they have their first doctor's visit in Ohio. Jeremy's not able to come, of course. Uh, So she's with Dawn and Corey is there with Miranda, whose face is blurred out. I was really surprised by that. I guess she comes on next season. I was surprised to see her face blurred out already. I thought, I didn't, I don't know. I was like, huh. But Miranda was there. Um, and they meet with Dr. Sal, who is so nice. And right away, he's like, yeah, there's clearly something going on with her muscles and orders some tests for her. And Leah's like, so you you've seen this before? And he's like, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen people present like this before. We're going to try our best. He's really honest. He's like, we're going to do this EMG test, I guess it's called. And then from there, we'll probably have to do a muscle biopsy. And he's like, I just want you to know that like, so oftentimes we get a diagnosis from the muscle biopsy, but not always. It doesn't always give us a diagnosis. I thought he was like really honest and really good at presenting like this is maybe going to help, but also like don't put all of your hopes in this. Um, Leah is, I felt really sad for Leah at the end because she starts to realize that they're close to getting a diagnosis. And even though she has been trying for two and a half years. The girls are about to turn three at this point, and they've noticed since like six months, right? But even though for two and a half years, she has been trying so hard to get this baby a diagnosis, she's like suddenly faced with the fact that like she's going to know that there's something wrong with her daughter for sure. And she's really scared. And she's like, maybe I don't want to know. Corey's like, well, I want to (laughs) know. They both really like Dr. Sal, by the way. They were like, he was super nice and really explained things well. Um, I think he was like the first person that they talked to that like had some sort of idea of what to do. And Leah was like, honestly, I just don't really understand why it took so long for us to get here. I don't know why they didn't send us to him earlier, which is a totally valid complaint, I think. But I really felt, I thought this was like very honest of Leah. And I thought this was a really good look into a person who loves someone who has some medical issues or even their own medical issues and the really complex feelings around finding out what's actually wrong because once there's a name on it, it can be good because you can get help and more specific help. But also like, I mean, and she's not wrong, right? When she found this out, like they finally find, I think it takes a little while to get diagnosed with the Titan muscular dystrophy specifically uh, because no, it had never presented in a child Allie's age, but they do get the muscular dystrophy diagnosis, I'm pretty sure, this season. Um, we'll see in the next episode, I guess, <laughs> or the reunion. But I get why, like, Leah wasn't wrong is what I'm saying, because they get a diagnosis that your daughter has a terminal illness, essentially, that is possible that she could die by the age of 25. Because remember, they like had no idea what Allie's life would look like because they didn't know any kids or there were no other kids that had been diagnosed with this specific uh, form of muscular dystrophy. And thankfully, the news has seemed to really improve. They are now saying that people are with tight muscular dystrophy can live into like a significantly older age, like above the 50s, which is really great. But like Leah's not wrong in being fearful, right? 
I, I, I really liked that this episode for Leah. I thought that this was a really good insight into what it's like to go through like the medical system and like the frustration of it taking so long, the relief that you found someone who seems to know what they're talking about, the complete fear that you're going to get a diagnosis that has some really bad news, but also like needing and wanting that diagnosis and following through with it. So they have the appointments scheduled and Leah and Corey did right by this. You know, they did. Okay, let's pop on over to Kale, who (laughs) Javi is such a fucking dick. Like the fact that she married him is insane. So Javi and Kale are getting married in a week because he's about to ship off for basic training. She still has not told Joe any of this. And she has decided that she's going to tell him because her and Joe finally scheduled like a court ordered uh, family therapy session. And she's like, so I'm going to tell him there. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. Great, 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 great. Do that. Uh, She's talking with her friends and she tells her friends that Javi doesn't believe in therapy. Oh, gosh. You know who needs to go to therapy? Javi. (laughs) Uh, She says, you know, the therapist probably just wants us to talk about how we communicate. Actually, she says the therapist probably wants us to talk about how to communicate better instead of throwing punches. Kale is really an abuser in that she always in these situations reverts to the we, if you'll notice, instead of the I. So how do we talk to each other without throwing punches? Joe doesn't need to know that. Joe has never thrown a punch at you, right? Like Joe's never gotten physical with you. You need to know how to communicate so that you don't throw a punch. She she always talks like that, and it's really, it's a real red flag when people who get physical talk about, like, well, how do we fix this problem? It's like, well, we don't fix shit. You fix it. That's a you problem. That's a singular person problem. Kale, I think, also, like, really believes that other people, she actually says it. She's like, I understand that it's, like, bad to get physical, but, like, and that I have a temper, but, like, when people see my temper escalating, like, why, like, and me getting madder, why do they then escalate the situation? And it's like, well, Kale, <laughs> because they're reacting to you being fucking wild and screaming at them. That's why they escalate it. Like, that's, that, they're reacting. They're not necessarily escalating. But in Kale's mind, and I think that this is something that she probably still believes she has a justifiable reason for her issues, right? Like her childhood, whatever. I'm not saying she doesn't. But in her mind, she's like, well, I'm fucked up and people around me know that I'm fucked up. So I'm allowed to behave however I want. And if anybody dares to react, they're the bad guys because they know that I'm not meaning to do this. I'm not doing this on purpose. And it's like, well, Like, when you punch Joe in the face because you start screaming at him and he tells you to shut up, like, he's not escalating the situation. He's responding to your behavior. And I mean, I think sometimes probably, obviously, people do escalate with her, but I just don't, I don't love how she talks about it. And I feel like this is something that she still does. So she's talking to Javi a little later and Javi's like, um, you know, what are you going to tell Joe tonight? And Kale's like, yeah, I'm going to tell him after therapy. And I was like, what? (laughs) 
after. Girl, you're going to be in a therapist's office. Sell him in the therapist's office. <laughs> Don't tell him after the fact. And Javi's like, great, so you can fight about it and then you can talk about it next week. And Kaylin's like, yeah, I mean, I'm just like really hoping that the therapy works. I think that like a lot of my issues with Joe are actually pretty similar to my issues with you because it's like how I communicate with people. And I was like, wow, great, insightful. Because Kale always does, even though I know I just went on and on about her, like she does always have a little bit of self-awareness. And in moments she can be insightful. And she's right, like the same issues that she has in her relationship with Joe, she has with Javi because they're her issues. Because <laughs> they're her issues and it's how she deals with people. And Javi goes, well, you know, I just don't think anybody needs therapy. That's his response to this. That's a crazy response. Kale is like, I'm proactively doing something that I think is also going to help our relationship. And I'm really like looking forward to doing that. And Javi's like, no, you don't need therapy. Why, like, why would you respond like that? He's such a fucking asshole. Oh, God. I hate Javi so much. Kale's like, okay, so like, then why, like, why are we talking about this? Like, why are you saying this? And Javi's like, um, just because I said I don't believe in therapy doesn't mean that I won't support you in therapy. <laughs> Do you hear yourself talking, Javi? Do you hear yourself? <laughs> Kale's like, okay. Javi's like, you know, I just don't get it. The first six months, everything was totally fine. And then it's just like you let it go. And Kale's like, well, yeah, I mean, we like know each other better now. <laughs> and Javi's like, you know, you just don't respect me anymore. And Kale's like, it's not about respect. It's about like my anger issues. And Javi is like pushing back. And then Kale actually like, in a really good response is like, Javi, please walk away. Like she starts to cry. She's like, I'm getting really upset. Please walk away. And Javi won't. He's like, no, no, no. And pushing her. And this is where I will say Javi escalated the situation, right? Like this is Javi escalating. Kale is trying to have a totally normal conversation with him, has said some really great and insightful things. Javi keeps antagonizing her. She straight up says, please walk away from me right now because I am really upset and I don't want to fight with you. And Javi then continues to push because Javi is a picker and this is what he does. And this is why their relationship was never, ever, ever going to work. Because when Kale says, I need you to go away right now, she needs a partner who will walk away. Because they weren't having a fight about something significant. It's not like Javi was like, no, I'm not walking away. We need to talk about this. He was just picking a fight to be an asshole. And he like keeps, and she's like, like, why are you doing this? Please stop. And finally he walks away. He's like, I'm supporting you. Oh, my gosh. So they go to their session and their therapist seems actually really nice. Um, He asks about some of their issues and she's like, you know, we both just like have feelings about each other's relationships. And I'm like, does Joe have feelings about your relationships? <laughs> Once again, she's using a we language where I don't think it necessarily applies. She starts crying and see that she just she says she hates V. I'm like, girl, you don't hate V. You don't know V. <laughs> There's nothing for you to hate about V. You hate yourself. The therapist I thought was really good, though. He just, like, let Kale talk. 
and really like express how she was feeling. I don't think it would have been helpful for him to push back against what she was saying. Um, she's like, I just don't want to be replaced as mom. And Joe says something similar. You know, I don't want to be replaced as dad. Joe talks about the fact that, like, before he had his girlfriend, like, things were really much better between them. They could talk. They at one point had talked about, like, moving away and agreed that they would move away together for Isaac. Not together, like, in the same home, but they would pick somewhere that they both wanted to live and move there. And, like, he's like, I just want to get back to that. And Kale's like, yeah, me too, but I do want to move. And the therapist is like, so how do you feel about that, Joe? And he's like, I mean, no. He's like, I, I'm his father. I should be seeing him every day. But definitely not just a couple weeks a year, which is totally right. After the session, they sit down and talk by themselves. And Kale's like, I had to tell you something. And Joe's like, are you pregnant? And she's like, no, I'm not pregnant. And he's like, okay. He's like, are you moving? And she's like, well, Javi is joining the military. And we're getting married. And we're probably going to have to move. And Joe is like, that's really dumb. <laughs> he's like, so he's just going to go into the army and kills like the Air Force. <laughs> like, I don't think that matters at this moment. <laughs> but Joe's like, you haven't even been with him for a year. What are you doing? And Kale's like, I've been with him for almost a year. And Joe goes, Yeah. <laughs> She goes, well, we got pregnant after nine months. And Joe goes, and look how that turned out. <laughs> Joe's being really calm and rational. And he goes, but he goes, what do you do if in a couple of years you find out he's really into porn? He says a word that the subtitles show is M star, 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 star porn. I have no idea what he was saying there. Monkey porn? Like, he likes to watch animals fucking. Mature porn. Like, he likes to watch old ladies fucking. It does make Kale laugh, though. It kind of, like, breaks the tension of it. But I would... If you live abroad and you get the uncensored T-Mom versions where they don't bleep anything out, can you go and watch this episode and tell me what kind of porn he said? Because I'm very curious. He's like, you know, I'm just letting you know that, like, you can go. He's like, feel free to go. <laughs> and that when you come back, you can see Isaac. Basically being like, you're not taking my kid anywhere. And Kale's like, no, that's not going to happen. He's like, I mean, it is. Like, we're going to have to fight about it. And she's like, well, we're not going to fight. And he goes, okay, well, our lawyers will be fighting about it. <laughs> Kale and Joe both got very lucky that Delaware was where Hoppy ended up. And that he was able to stay there his whole military career. They're very, very lucky with that. Um, I mean, it's still like a couple hours away from where they live, but it's close enough that he can regularly see his family. He was able to move there pretty easily. Before he moved there, he was able to see Isaac regularly. They're very lucky that that's how it turned out. All right, let's bring it on home with old Janelle, who starts off the episode by having court with Gary. She's wearing... <laughs> Like a button-up shirt with like a cami underneath, capri pants and heels. It's so funny. I love, like the capri pants and heels is just so, so, so funny to me. So Gary admitted that he threw Janelle on the bed. So she's like, I'm just not worried about this. Uh, Kiefer drops her off. He doesn't go with her. 
and Gary pleads guilty and Janelle has all charges dropped. So Dustin, once again, comes through in the end for her. Janelle gets home and she announces that she's struggling to pay for her bills and that she got an eviction notice. And Kiefer's like, you don't know that much money. Kiefer keeps talking about the we. And I'm like, Kiefer, what rent have you paid? What bill have you paid here, babe? I don't think this is a we situation. I think this is a Janelle situation. And she's like, we just owe one month, one month of back rent. And he's like, and you've never been late paying your rent before. And I'm like, she literally told Barbara that she was always late paying her rent and that it was just an extra $50. (laughs) And Kiefer's like, this is fucking bullshit. We're going to go in front of the judge and he's just going to laugh and tell the landlord, like, why the fuck are you evicting them after one month? It's just one month. We can get him the money. Why didn't they ask for the money? And I'm like, okay. I'm not trying to, like, be out here defending landlords, you know? (laughs) That's not the position I'm trying to take. But the idea that, like, they're being wronged because the landlord didn't come and ask for the money, like, he asked for the money when you signed the lease. Like, you you know that the money is due. (laughs) You know that you have not paid rent. Uh, Kiefer's idea is, like, let's just fuck it. Let's get out of here. Let's just move. Let's go get a new place. And Janelle's like, yeah, I'm already looking. I'm looking at places that are cheaper than $850. She pulls up a place that's two bedrooms and $725. It makes me want to jump out my window. A two-bedroom in my area is over $2,000, like $2,500. I live in the fucking suburbs. It's so fucking expensive. We're in a housing crisis, in case you didn't know. <laughs> that's like utilities. Oh, gosh. Take me back to 2011 or whatever year this is. I guess probably later. It's probably like 2013. Yeah, because doesn't she marry Kiefer in 2013? I think this is 2013-ish. Okay, so Janelle's like, yeah, 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 let's do that. And he's like, but uh, don't look at an apartment complexes because I'm a felon and they won't let me in there. Which is true. If you don't know this, when you're a felon, it's really hard to get a place to live. It's just another way that we uh, really discriminate against people who have been in the justice system. And we know that uh, people of color, especially black people, are incarcerated at extremely disproportionate rates to white to society and white people. And so this is just another way to fuck over black people. Full stop. Everything in our criminal justice system is just with the urge to further white supremacy and or the goal to further white supremacy and it's working really well and restricting housing is definitely one of those ways. Um, how are you how are you ever supposed to live a better life if you can't even get a place to live? It doesn't make any fucking sense. But I'm like, Kiefer's not signing a lease. <laughs> Kiefer's never signing a lease with Janelle. What does it matter what his background is? Nobody's going to, he's not going to officially be living there, at least according to the landlord. So Barbara decides to come over to yell at Janelle. (laughs) That's, that's why she's coming over. Uh, Janelle has not told her about the eviction, but knows that like things are not going well with the bills. So Barbara and Jace come. The idea that like, this is where I'm like, Barb, what the fuck? Barbara knows she's coming over to yell at Janelle, right? Like she knows it. They're coming over to discuss her finances. She's coming over to fight. Why do you bring Jace? For what reason? Who does that benefit? So she brings Jace. She walks in. She's like, the house smells like shit, which we know because MTV is like panned over the dirty dishes and it it's bad. Um, 
And Janelle's like, yeah, it's just the trash needs to go out. And Barb's like, so take out the trash. <laughs> so they talk, they start talking about like money and Kiefer walks in the kitchen. He goes, Barbara, do you like this new saw that I bought yesterday? He has like this big, I guess it's a circular saw. It looks expensive. It's big. And Barbara's like, Kiefer, I don't want to talk to you. And Kiefer goes, I know I was being sarcastic. But I'm like, why the fuck did Kiefer buy that if they're not paying their rent? <laughs> That's classic, classic drug act, drug addict behavior. Barbara and Janelle start going back and forth because she's like, I paid the rest of my bills, but I didn't pay rent. And Barbara's like, you have to pay rent. Barbara doesn't know they've been evicted. And Barbara starts yelling, you know, things haven't changed ever since Kiefer came back in the picture. You've been a mess. This is all Kiefer's fault. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I think she's always been a mess. <laughs> but yeah, things have gotten significantly worse with Kiefer. And Janelle is like, you know, yelling back. And Barbara is like, you can't even support yourself. How would you support a kid? And Janelle's like, well, I don't want my son in the same room. And then Barbara cuts her off and goes, you don't want your son at all. Well, but now we said it. <laughs> But now we said it. They're screaming at each other. Uh, Janelle is like, his room is set up to go. I promise you, I will get him back. I stay sober. And Barbara's like, you don't stay sober. You buy kilos of weed. This like kind of breaks the tension because Janelle goes, kilos? And starts laughing. And Barbara's like, pounds, whatever. (laughs) Kilos of weed is so funny to me. Oh, I love it. But then Janelle's like, I don't buy pounds of weed. Janelle's probably like, I can't afford to buy pounds of weed. And Barbara's just like, you know, going off about Kiefer. And Kiefer then decides to get involved and goes, why are you 60 years old and working at a deli? What? Kiefer, what? Barbara has a, Barbara owns her own home. Barbara has raised three to five children. You know, if we're counting Jason, Gabriel, Barbara has her own car. Barbara's doing okay working at that deli counter. And she was even before the MTV money, you know, like, fuck off, Kiefer. Truly, fuck you. Kiefer, who's probably never worked a job in his life at this point. And Janelle goes, you're a deli person who's going to work at Walmart for the rest of your fucking life. Ugh scum of the earth, Janelle and Kiefer. Barbara starts screaming, fuck you. And she's like, Jace, we're leaving. Come on. And then she turns to Kiefer and she's like, wait till they find out you live with a convicted felon. You'll be out of here. And Kiefer goes famously. So being a felon ain't illegal. (laughs) The famous line. And also Jace is just like running around. (laughs) So they leave. And In the next scene, Janelle lets us know that she's been really depressed, so her and Kiefer have been partying a lot. We get a scene of them driving in the car, and Kiefer's like, so what are you trying to get? And Janelle's like, I told you. And he starts going like, well, if we buy more at once, we'll get a discount. It doesn't make sense to buy a smaller amount. Janelle's like, yeah, let's just do that. And it's very obvious they're talking about heroin here and not pills, because you don't get a discount when you buy more pills, unless you're buying like a lot of pills. But you do get a discount if you buy more heroin. Here's how heroin works, at least in the city of Philadelphia. Or 
And I would assume many other places. At least when I was using these were the prices. They've probably gone up with inflation. (laughs) Heroin is sold in bags. So a bag, I don't, when I went to rehab, they're like, how many grams do you use? I was like four a day. I was like, I don't know, four bags. Like it's not, it's not weighed out. Like it's not like weed or other, even Coke, like that, you know, you ask for it, like by the amount of grams it is like that. That's not how heroin is sold in Philadelphia. And I would assume in most places on the East Coast, anywhere that has like white powder dope, I think is the same way. So, and also like the things are not weighed out in front of you. Like you are not going into a dealer's home. You drive up, you have a dealer's number, you see if they're good, you drive up, they run up to your car, you give them the money, they give you the dope. Um, We had some nice regular drug dealers. One of them was a father-son pair who I really liked. We brought them Thanksgiving food when we went and copped on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sometimes you would like drive around the block. I had this one guy that we would meet up and I would throw, I swear to God, I would throw the money into his um, car window and he would throw the dope into my car window. (laughs) Oftentimes, um, if you don't like have a dealer or whatever, you can, in Philly especially, you can just drive up to certain blocks and basically roll down your window and say dope. And some little kid will run up, take your money, somebody else will come and run and give you uh your bags like that. That's more of like the open air market system, which I didn't really use that much because it was better and less less likely to have issues if you like had a dealer you could contact. So you buy heroin by the bag um, and then bags come in bundles. So in a bundle are 12 bags, but it only costs $100. So you get basically 12 bags for the price of 10. So the goal as a heroin addict is always to buy bundles, but like that can't always happen. And usually like my friend and I that used together, um, we would split, we would like, our goal would be to split a bundle so we could each get six bags. Um, I used two to four bags a day if I didn't have money. Like two bags a day was a bad, bad, bad day. Like you are fucking sick. Uh, Four bags a day is like, getting by, like you're able to function. Ideally, if you want to get high, high that day, like you're doing eight to 12 bags a day, right? Like at least where I was and I stopped using after, you know, a few months, like I was using for less than a year. Once your tolerance goes up, it becomes even more. But this is like pretty average for where Janelle and Kiefer are and they're using for sure. Actually, I don't know about Kiefer, but where Janelle is. (laughs) I don't know how long Kiefer is using before he gets Janelle into it. But I'm sure that's the case for Janelle. She's probably doing anywhere between like two to six bags a day at this point. Um, So yeah, you always wanted to buy more because you could get more. I think a bundle is like a gram of heroin, but honestly, I, I really don't know. It's like truly just measured in bags, like how much you do is measured in bags. And the bags are these little like wax seal. <laughs> They're like wax paper that you f- is like folded up um and like you know how much is supposed to be in the bag just because all the bags are supposed to theoretically be the same amount so like when you hold it up you can tell if the bag is light or if the bag is heavy because sometimes the bags are heavy and that was always a good day uh sometimes you would get extra bags if your dealer had new stuff and they wanted to throw in a sample <laughs> because all oh but the bags are also stamped 
So the stamps are like the brands of the dope. Basically, it's like what they're calling the the strain of it, if you will. So it would be like you've been buying, let's say, stop signs. Like there would be a stop sign stamp on it for a couple weeks and then they get um, like a star. Then they get star. So they'll throw in like two of the star bags um, because the idea is like they're showing you that the new bag is better and then you'll be buying the new bag. You'll make no more money, but it's just it's just the way that it worked. Uh, you would the bag stamps probably didn't mean anything, but like they psychologically meant something. Where it was like, yeah, we know the stop sign is good, but it it wasn't always the same stuff. But you would yeah you would identify the different bags, and sometimes they would have like multiple options, and you could get the kind you want. Um, this is probably all very different now in the world of fentanyl. I thank God I stopped doing dope before fentanyl was really bad. Like, thank God I would be dead, probably. But I'm not sure how it works now. In this day and age, I know a lot of people just straight up do fentanyl now, which is honestly probably safer in some ways than doing dope because at least you know how much fentanyl you're getting. You can, like, more safely measure what you're doing. But fentanyl was really just coming into the game when I started using. And I remember once... (laughs) We had a dealer tell us that they had to recut the bags because they accidentally put too much fentanyl in it and somebody OD'd and died. And so, like, the heat was on them a little bit. And my fucked up brain was like, can I get that that original type? Because that means it's stronger. It's how fucking sick I was. Um, I'll never forget. He's like, sometimes those people are just crazy. They do too much. They have to calm down. It's like, yeah, they're dope heads. <laughs> also... The dealers are basically never, ever, ever heroin users. This is like a business. Like, it's not like you go and you buy from your local pot dealer. It, I mean, and I know pot dealers barely even exist anymore. It's just different. So that, I think, is what Kiefer and Janelle are talking about when they're talking about buying more. He's saying, like, let's get a bundle. Instead of instead of getting six bags for $60, let's get 12 bags for $100 or however much the price is in Wilmington, North Carolina. So they're back at the house and Janelle is fully laying with the covers completely over her head, just like crying. And Kiefer is like trying to get her up and out of bed. And she's like, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. I'm bored. We have no money. And Kiefer's like, what do you mean? I have $70. And Janelle's like, and after that $70, we'll have no money. And he's like, no, I have pipes going out tomorrow. What are you talking about? This is a funny fight and not it's not funny. It's really dark. But this is an interesting fight between two people who clearly have had very different lives. And it shows just how cushy Janelle's entire life has been. Yes, there was a period of time in which Janelle was homeless with Kiefer, but that was by choice. At any time, she could have went back to Barb's. She just couldn't go without Kiefer. So she was homeless through her own choice. She wasn't actually homeless, right? Like she did that. She did that by her own her own decision to be with her boyfriend. Kiefer is homeless. Kiefer has been homeless his whole entire adult life at this point. Kiefer doesn't, I mean, I guess he gets paid per episode by MTV, but Kiefer's not making an MTV contract. Kiefer does not have the money or the privilege that Janelle does. Uh, Kiefer does have family. They live in New Jersey. I don't think his mom bails him out of stuff the way that Barb does. Like, I think that she doesn't really have a lot of money. Uh, and it's not that Barb is rich, but Barb is really good with her money, I think, and was always able to bail Janelle out. Um, not just out of jail. 
to like bail her out of situations. And so Kiefer is like, why are you crying? He's like, we have a house. There's food in the fridge and I've got $70. (laughs) He's like this. We have been in way worse. He's like, remember when we were in the front seat of the Accord with nowhere to go? Like we're living in luxury right now. Uh, Janelle's like screaming like stop being mean to me just classic Janelle Kiefer walks out of the room and he says out loud to the camera um what does he say he's he says all that's wrong all that's wrong but if I go scoop up some pain pills while she's in the bath everything will be all right I don't think they were doing pills at all at this point. Um, it's kind of rare that you're like vacillating between pills and dope. I don't think they had the money for pills. If they had $70, especially this is like, first of all, this is the age of real pills. There aren't real pills anymore. Thank God I stopped doing drugs before fake pills, by the way. If I got a pill, like that shit came from the pharmacy. Like for, I never thought about a pill being fake ever, ever, ever. And now, like, every pill you buy on the street, unless you, like, see it come from the pharmacist, is fake, which is just a whole other level of crazy. But pills are really expensive. Like, for Oxy, which is obviously, like, the most famous of the pain pills, um, you basically paid a dollar a milligram. So, like, an 80 milligram Oxy was $80. (laughs) And 80 milligrams didn't exist by this point. There's kind of a joke of, like, older people that are now sober, like the kids today will never understand what it was like to take an Oxy-80 because they've been off the market for many, many years at this point. But like a Percocet was like probably between 10 to $30 each, depending on how many milligrams you were getting. Pills are really, really fucking expensive. And for $70, they would maybe get like one or two pills. Probably definitely more than one, probably two or three pills for $70 versus seven bags for $70. And seven bags could last them two days if they wanted it to. Um, here's the other thing. Kiefer is clearly the one that's like volunteering to go and pick stuff up so that he can use more. And that's what my ex-boyfriend used to do to me too, where like he'd be like, yeah, yeah, give me the money and I'll, I'll go get it. And then he'd like, definitely come home with one less bag or what he would do is he would open the bags and like basically like ration off part of mine into his <laughs> such a scumbag and that's exactly what Kiefer is doing so he walks into the the bathroom where she's taking a bath and he's like what do you want me to do and Janelle is like it doesn't matter and Kiefer's like do you want me to go get you some pain pills or something and then he just says it straight up you want some dope like I said, I don't think they were doing pills. I think they were doing dope. I think they were doing the thing where we're calling this pain pills because it's way less stigmatized to be addicted to pain pills than it is to heroin, which is very, very silly, but it is absolutely the truth. It's why when I asked my dad to rehab, I told him I was addicted to opiates and not heroin, which is outrageous, but it's just really hard to say out loud, heroin versus like pills. So Janelle is like, I don't know. I don't know. She's just like flipping out. And she's like, he's like, so you're just going to be here and be depressed. And she's like, no, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive to Wilmington and find something to get me high. And he's like, I just offered to go to Wilmington. And she's like, fine, fine. Okay. And he's like, you need to make up your mind on what you want. And she's like, what do you think I want? And then Kiefer goes to get heroin. It's really sad um, the next episode is when Barbara finds out about the heroin. So I'm definitely looking forward to rewatching that. 
it's sad, but it's also like I think an interesting tale of watching how heroin addicts live because I think that this is pretty true to form, especially like early in your addiction to it, which I think Janelle is at this point. I mean, it's always kind of been unclear exactly how long this was going on, but I don't think she was even shooting up at this point because I'm pretty sure according to her, the first time she shot up was like in New Jersey and that happens after, um, like in between seasons. So, oh, Janelle, everything is hard. I, you know, regardless of Janelle's life now, at least she's not hooked on heroin, I guess. That's it for this week. Like I said earlier, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Listen to me talk about Sister Wives. Listen to me talk about Amanda Knox. And I hope everybody has a nice week. And I think next week I'm going to do the same as the new episode, old episode recaps. Let me know if you like this format and I'll talk to you then. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.